We're going to talk some more football because that's that's what I do. Uh, I am the co-host of the Detroit Lions podcast. I cover the Detroit Lions for Lions Wire USA Today. Uh, I've also been the managing editor for the Browns Wire and the Texans Wire, which leads me to having my fingers in a lot of different teams. And the man who's going to join us now is somebody else who's got his fingers over a lot of different teams across the NFL. My good friend Mark Schofield from SB Nation is about to join us. And Mark, I, I got to give it up for Mark. He is one of the the smartest, shrewdest people on the face of the earth, and he gave up being a lawyer to be a sports writer. So I, I, I'm still kind of curious as to how that balances. But Mark, thank you very much for joining us on the Huge Show. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing well, Jeff. I too am emerging from three days of darkness, my own little darkness retreat, and I can tell you. Um, life does look a little bit brighter when you come out of this, so I do wonder if Aaron Rodgers will feel the same way when he emerges from his darkness retreat. But, my friend, it is a pleasure to be with you. Excited to be here, buddy. How are you doing? Uh, it's great. And, and by the way, we will be, uh, next week, we will be together in Indianapolis at the Combine. Uh, it's the big annual gathering. And the producer Brett and I were just talking about uh, Brazilian steakhouses in the break, and you and I have a date with a bunch of other people down there next week for one, do we not? We do. Um, and I'm very curious to see, although he will not be joining us, our good friend John Ledyard won't be in Indianapolis this year, but John last year at Fogo Child, the Brazilian Steakhouse, he's the first person I have ever met who actually beat the Steakhouse, because everybody that's been there knows you have that little red and green card that sits in front of you. If you haven't flipped a green, you still want food. He left it up. He kept going until late into the night, and they stopped giving him food. And, Jeff, the best part is they brought out what I like to call the closer, the Mariano Rivera of the Brazilian steakhouses, which is at the end, myself, uh, John Ledyard, and Owen Reese, uh, we still had our cards turned green. They brought out and dropped, like, a filet on each of our plates, trying to say, look, you know, you all got to go. You know, you can't go home, but you can't stay here. J- John ate all of ours. Oh, my goodness. Owen and I tapped out. John kept going, and they just stopped giving him food. So I don't know if we'll see a repeat performance like that from any of us, but we're going to do our best. We we will certainly give it a try. And and by the way, um, so we have a lot of fun with the same group of people most years in Indianapolis. One year we went to TGI Fridays when they had their unlimited apps, and Ledyard pretty much put that place out of business. Um, He ate at least 150 pot stickers. No exaggeration. Jeff, I have to believe that at some dining establishments, at least on the East Coast, maybe in his hometown in Pennsylvania, there's a do not serve this man sign with John Ledger's face on it. Because you're right, he will eat places into bankruptcy. And it's impressive every time I see it. One year we were down at Mobile, and I know this is fantastic radio for everybody listening, but one year we were down at Mobile <laughs> at the Holiday Inn Breakfast Buffet. They basically had to shut it down because of him. They said, look, we're out of eggs. We can't go anymore. I mean, he's, it's impressive. And my favorite legend story is the first time I saw him, we was down at Mobile for the Super Bowl. We were at Saucy Q's, the barbecue joint. Oh, my goodness. He goes to for Legendary. And, and Ledyard walked in, and I thought to myself, it was my first time down there. I'm like, this is great. The players that are in the senior bowl come here because John Ledyard looks like he could probably strap it up and, and you know test pretty well for a defensive end. He does. Um, so we're going to be in Indy. Before we go to the steakhouse, we're going to be looking at the guys that are playing. And, uh, Mark, you are a former quarterback in college. You, you were one of the, the foremost quarterback experts. Uh, we just had Scott Bischoff on talking about Anthony Richardson. So we, we've kind of covered him. Uh, and actually, I don't know how you feel about Anthony Richardson, so maybe we'll ask that in a minute. But your thoughts on which quarterback, going into Indy anyways, um, has the most to gain by being down there and also the most to lose? 
I mean, I think the easy answer, Jeff, is Bryce Young. And you could probably, if they were to do it this way, to set it up this way, make his sort of weigh-in measurement a pay-per-view event. Oh, 100%. And the reason, the reason for that is this. Watching him on film, like he checks a lot of boxes from what you want to see at the quarterback position, particularly in today's NFL. But the question for him is, he, is he, and this is the way I kind of phrase it, is he an outlier or is he the outlier? Because if he comes in at, say, 5'11", 200 or so, 205, even like 195, it's like, okay, you're an outlier, but you're in the sort of Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield spectrum of size where players that have measured that way can still go first in the overall and they can still go in the first round. If he comes in at, say, 5'8", 170, again, that's a wild speculative guess there. But if that's what ends up happening or something close to that, he's not just an outlier. He's like the outlier at the quarterback position in recent history. That's going to be a big deal. And the reason that is, is I remind people this all the time. The people in the building, the men and the women making these decisions come draft time, they have jobs that they want to keep. And if you are, say, Chris Ballard, and we all know that the Colts have to fix the quarterback position. They've said as much that, hey, you know, we got to fix it. Their owner even said, hey, that... <laughs> the owner basically let the cat out of the bag that they are taking quarterback yeah. with their first-round pick. Yeah, I mean, we, that's what they got to do. So you've got to get it right. If you give up the draft capital, it would take even to get from four to one to draft a guy that comes into the combine and measures my size, that's not a job saving type of decision if it doesn't pan out because your draft is the outlier. Now, if he comes in like 5'11", 205, and he's you know consumed as much water as he can get his hands on in Indianapolis to make that weight, it's still, he's an outlier, but it's within the reasonable spectrum from what we've seen, and if it goes south, well, then okay, it's not that big of a deal. And so, Bryce Young, I know it sounds crazy, the, guy, the kid won a Heisman. He does everything so well. I don't know people say, well, does it really make that big of a difference? When you're talking about this could cost you your job, you're much more willing to come up and draft a guy that's in the realm, in the ballpark, than you are a guy that we haven't seen somebody that size at the quarterback position go first overall in a long time. No, we no, we haven't. And so my my, I'll give you an over under on his dimensions. Uh, I, I talked to somebody who uh, is at the same training facility as him, and I was given the number five nine and a half, one hundred and eighty seven pounds. At that, with those figures, do you think he can go number one? That's small. I mean, that's really small. And. Again, it gets us into it's not he's not an outlier. He's like the outlier at the position. It's a very risky proposition. If you're going to give up, you know, future draft capital, future first round picks, perhaps, you know, mortgage the future a little bit to do that, you have to be one hundred percent sure that he's the guy that can last. Now he plays the position extremely well. Yes, he does. They, they can run spread option. They can run spread formations and you know spread looks and you know do things to protect them. But the other thing is this: you're going to want to make sure you have a very good offensive line in front of them because the size will be an issue if you're going to you know have him play in the NFL. If you're the Indianapolis coach and Shane Steichen, you're going to use him in run game stuff like you did with Jalen Hurts. But you want to make sure you have a line as good as Philadelphia's. And if you're mortgaging the future a little bit, are you going to be able to put your best five in front of them? And 
you know, the Colts have some pieces on the offensive line, Colton Nelson certainly, but that was a line that struggled last year. They struggled to protect Matt Ryan, and if you're going to drop, say, a 5'9", 185-pound quarterback behind that, and you've given up the opportunity to perhaps draft some offensive linemen and put them around him, that's a risky proposition to me. Yeah, that's a tough sell. Mark Schofield from SB Nation joining us here on The Huge Show. Uh, this is Jeff Rosen sitting in with him. Let's go to the next quarterback in the line. Well, he could be the next quarterback in the line. C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. Uh, give me your your high and low for, for the Buckeye great. I really like C.J. Stroud, and I've liked him for a while. I mean, I think he does a lot of things at the position that you like, works through reads, progressions, all that fun stuff, understands coverage rotations. You know, when you cloud the pitcher pre-snap, he can roll with that pretty well. I think we are in a sort of what have you done for me lately, recency bias kind of business. His last impression was a pretty darn good one, that game against Georgia, where I think a lot of people said he's a stationary pocket type. I've heard a lot of people before that Georgia game say he's basically Jared Goff. He doesn't move, doesn't create, not explosive. He did that. He created outside the pocket. He created on the move against a very good Georgia defense and a team that went on to win the national title. And he took that team to the brink and, you know, some clock management stuff at the end probably cost him a chance to win that game. I think he's a very aggressive quarterback. And I'm not done grading everybody, but as far as prelim grades go, again, just one man's opinion. I'm not an expert. I'm not, you know, don't sell yourself short, Mark. I'm just saying, though, the guy that I like the most from what I've seen, and I've, just, I've watched all of these guys that are going to be in Indianapolis with us, the guy I like the most is Trout. I've been very impressed by him. I know, look, people will then say two losses against Michigan, two losses in big games. And that game against Michigan this year, there were some moments when he was pressured where it sort of fell apart for him. I get that. But I think with what we saw against Georgia in a defense that is – thematically one of the toughest that you're going to see all year at the college level, he comported himself extremely well. And in this recency bias, what have you done for me lately kind of business, that's a great way to leave the college game behind. I think he really helped himself in that game. I'm with you on that one. Mark Schofield from SB Nation joining us. Okay, I'm going to ask you to do the near impossible. Sell me on Will Levis as a top 10 pick. If you can. I mean, I can, and, and here it is. You know, it's interesting. I I hadn't gone back and watched him until the past couple of days as I'm really sort of getting all my, like, prelim work done for the combine. And you've heard a lot about how Will Levis, man, you can't draft this guy in the first round. You can't draft this guy top 15. There are some things to like about him. And I think the Josh Allen comparisons are interesting. Not that he could become Josh Allen or that he's the same type of player, but the flaws and the flashes that you see from him over the past two years, and I'll think i, I I'll come back to that point in a second, are similar to the flaws and the flashes that you saw from Allen. There are things about Levis that he needs to fix. There are times when he just says, look, this is the route that I'm going to throw on this play. It doesn't matter what's happening on the front side of the concept. We've got a three-by-one. I like my chances backside. And sure, I end up throwing a hitch route in tight man coverage, and it almost goes for a pick six. He needs to clean that up. There are flashes where he works through reads. I need to see that more consistently. I think that there are other guys in this class that have the ability to solve problems in a much wider variety of ways. Anthony Richardson, for example, than he does. 
but that there there are moments when you can see him work through a concept, get to the backside dig with the pressure in his face, trash in his feet, and ability to step into a throw, just flick it and put it where it needs to be. And so the thing with Will Levis is this. If you have a coaching staff that has developed quarterbacks before, if you have a coaching staff that has taken a sort of average quarterback and turned him into maybe a upper tier quarterback. That's oh, oh we, got, we, we got that in Detroit, Mark. We got that in Detroit. Do you, do you see where I'm going with this, Jeff? <laughs> like, if you have an offensive coordinator that has shown he can take a mid-tier quarterback and turn him into somebody that shows you flashes, like, say, Ben Johnson, it could work. Now, I'm still iffy on the idea of Detroit drafting the QB because how long is Ben Johnson going to be there? Now, right. do you think he's going to be there for another two years if you draft a you know, quarterback X in this draft class? You'd love for Ben Johnson to stick with him, but he's probably getting a head coaching game next year. I know he's come back. That's great. But then you're going to talk about a rookie in his third offense in three years. That's always a little shaky for me. Plus, with where Detroit is in this first round, you might have to trade up to get one of these guys. And is it worth it at that point? I don't know. So that's the sales pitch on Will Levis. If you've got the staff that has done it before, if you've got people in the building that have developed a quarterback before, it can work. I look at Carolina sitting there at nine. My good buddy James Dater, Panthers fan at SB Nation. Every time I mocked Will Levis to the Panthers, he goes nuts. But that's a staff that's got some people that has done it before. Frank Reich has done it. Even Josh McDowell is part of the Darnold sort of coach player on the sideline with him. Like they've got the nucleus of coaching talent around him that could probably make it work. But you've got to be sure it's one of those if you're the GM, you walk into the offensive staff meeting room before the draft, you say, seriously. Can the men and women in this room make Will Levis into what he can be? Give me a hundred percent positivity on that. If you're sure, that's what you can. That's what you can turn in the car with his name on it. If you aren't sure, or if you're a GM and you you don't think the coaching staff around him can get him there, that's the tougher sell. And that's that's one of the reasons why those jobs change often, yep. <laughs> especially in Carolina. Yep. All right, so you talked about the Detroit Lions. We're starting with Jared Goff. He's the, he's the quarterback in 2023. No question about it. He played. And if he plays the way he did in 2022, he's going to be here a lot longer than that and making a lot more money. That leads to the question, though, he's the only quarterback on the roster. Now, I'm going to advocate for several different free agency backups to come in. A guy like Cooper Rush, maybe Andy Dalton, um, guys like that. But if I'm looking and I don't want to draft a guy early, and I've got you know a third-round pick, fifth-round pick, sixth-round pick, what quarterbacks in that area – would you be interested in if you're the Lions in taking as a guy that can maybe become your backup in time um, and possibly even someday take over for Jared Goff? Jake Hayner from Fresno State intrigues me. Um, I, I get very much the like Taylor Heineke vibe, competitive, physically tough, has played through some some injuries. You know, he had an injury two years ago where his hip was basically just obliterated, but he still found a way to win against UCLA. Um, He's really intrigued me throughout this process. You know, I don't want to say Stetson Bennett. I'm trying with every fiber. Please don't. Please don't. Stetson Stetson Bennett. So I won't. I will just move on. Thank Um, you. (laughs) From BYU, Hendon Hooker from Tennessee. Those are two players that I've sort of watched throughout this process and come away, you know, Hall intrigued from sort of an arm talent standpoint. There were some throws that he made this year. 
you know, some of his feel and footwork in the pocket, his game against Utah State, he had a, a first and ten play where he's got pressure basically off the left edge, but where other quarterbacks might panic, he doesn't. He sort of stays in there. I think he's somebody that because of how sort of his postseason process has gone, he might be available, say, early day three if you want to go down that road. Hooker's got the injury. He's older. That offense, how well does it translate? Because they do so much stuff with these widespread formations and stacks and switch concepts that work on Saturdays, but you're not sure if they'd work consistently on Sundays. But again, that gets us to the offensive coordinator that's in the building, and you know there might be an opportunity for Ben Johnson if he sticks around, or even just this year to get something out of Hooker when he's healthy. And so those are some names sort of later in this draft that intrigue me. Excellent. Appreciate that, Mark. Uh, Mark Schofield from SB Nation here. Tell the good people here uh, across Michigan what you've got coming up uh, at SB Nation and what we're going to have fun doing in Indianapolis next week. Well, Jeff, it is going to be fun next week in Indianapolis. Um, as for what I've got going, um, I'm going to have probably the four. I'm going to think. I think I'm going to do the four most important places in the in Indianapolis next week for those top four quarterbacks that we sort of reference. For example, we know Bryce Young; it's the scale. But what about the other guys? What do they need to do? Um, I'm going to have a piece coming up probably early next week. Who is QB five? Because we've had this debate over the top four, but. Who's the top quarterback after that group? If we've also to coalesce around Stroud, Young, Levis, and Richardson as the top four, and then in Indy, look, get ready because you're going to see a lot of sports writers tweeted about you know shrimp cocktail and horseradish sauce and steakhouses because that's what happens. But I do believe Jeff, this is a year where finally we all get to go into Lucas Oil and see the workouts. You know, we haven't been able to do that. That's true in the COVID days. So. When we get these QBs throwing, I'll be there on Saturday night watching it and taking it all in and tweeting out some takes. So that will be fun, too. Appreciate that, Mark. Thanks so much for joining us today on The Huge Show. Thanks so much, my friend. Always a blast. See you next week, buddy. Absolutely.